Welcome to the Art of the Christian Ninjas Sermon Podcast, dedicated to helping you find the tools and inspiration you need to pursue a deeper, consistent, and more meaningful relationship with God. Pastor Al Deschano speaks at Beckwith Baptist Church in Carleton Place, Ontario, Canada. And if you have any questions or comments about what you hear today, want to learn more, or just see what Pastor Al is up to, you can find him on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or on the webpage artofthechristianninja.com. And now, here's Pastor Al with this week's message. say we're going through a strange time right now is an understatement. As this pandemic looms and the lockdown enters into its second month, it's interesting to see how people are reacting. Uh, while some are sitting at home bored, others like frontline and emergency workers are being run off their feet. It, the educated professionals that are used to having all the important jobs, they've been told they're non-essential now, and so they have to go sit at home while the service workers and the retail workers that they used to look down on are now treated as vital, essential workers who, who put their life on the line every day just so they can serve the public. It's amazing to witness this topsy-turvy thing happening. I'm 100% sympathetic to how difficult it must be to be a doctor, a nurse, uh, another medical worker, uh, a politician at this time. But as a former Walmart stock boy, as a former Walmart cashier, I have a special spot in my heart for people in the grocery store, in the department stores, that service industry, where their lives just got way more complicated, much scarier, and much more difficult. Imagine, just for a minute, being a 16-year-old grocery store cashier. It's your first job. You just started a couple months ago, and it seemed pretty straightforward at the time. The main part of the job was, you know, know where stuff is, get the money part right, and just generally be polite to people. And that was it. And you felt like you had a handle on it. How must they feel now? All of a sudden, they're given surgical masks and gloves. They're stuck in this plexiglass cage. They have dozens of new rules to follow. The public is panicking. The management doesn't know what to do. And they're told if they don't get it all right, they could be held responsible for spreading a deadly virus. What must it be like for them? What must it be like for the parents who are sending their teenagers, their young people, off to work these days while they stay home? No matter who you are, Everyone in every arena of life has been affected by this. And the internet is showing us a lot. It's churning out more and more and more information. Uh, The government is making more and more and more announcements. The the 24-hour news cycle is generating more stories to try to grab attention. And the weeks continue to wear on and on. Everyone is having to deal with more stress, more anxiety, more fear, more information, more confusion and many, more loneliness and more worry. So how are people coping with this? Well, I saw an interesting graphic this week put out by Stats Canada talking about how Canadians are dealing with the challenges of COVID-19 and the situation it's brought. As it turns out, Canadians are generally watching a lot of TV, playing a lot of video games, surfing a lot of the internet, and drinking a lot of alcohol. Now, I would imagine that if Stats Canada dug a little deeper, 
they would find that Canadians are dealing with their problems in a whole lot of other self-destructive ways. Just consider yourself over the last little while here. How have you reacted to the increased stress, the increased accountability, or sorry, the decreased accountability, the more stress, less accountability, more time on your hands, more responsibility dumped into your lap? How, how have you been coping with all that stress? Have you been arguing more? Trying to control the people around you more? Have you been avoiding life, zoning out completely? Have you had more alcohol, more food, more pornography, nonstop media, nonstop phone, nonstop information? Or are you just going to sleep? What have your interactions online looked like? Are they God-honoring and faith-producing and helpful posts that point to truth and hope? Or are you spreading fear and spreading arguments and spreading gossip? Stressful times like this, they, and I don't mean just during global pandemics, they bring out the best in people and they bring out the worst in people. The Bible talks about these times like going through a fire, a fire that, that causes you either to be refined like gold in a furnace, showing and helping you remove the negative dross in your life, or fire that causes your whole life to burn down as you realize that every part of you, including your foundation, was just made of matchsticks and you didn't know until that moment. And I'm not just talking about the difference between believers and non-believers, though I'm certainly talking about that too. I'm talking about Christians. Turn with me to consider 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter here is talking to Christians who were going through a very difficult time of persecution and trial. He, he begins by reminding them of their salvation because they're only saved by God's mercy, meaning God didn't have to save them. He chose to save them because he loved them. He reminds them that what they put their faith in, that God loves them and he gives them a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then, just like we read last week in Romans 8, he says that, Nothing can separate them from that love, uh, that it's in Jesus Christ. And he says, because of God's mercy, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, nothing can ever take away that hope because it is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. These are great, powerful words. And he says, remember these things, the love of God, the salvation of Jesus, the security in heaven, all these things we talked about. As, the, as you remember these things, as you meditate on those things, then your desire to pray, your desire to worship, your desire to trust, your, your service, your rejoicing 
will begin to happen. He says, if you think about all those things, how you were saved, why you were saved, the mercy behind your salvation, that's going to be an engine towards prayer and worship and service and trust and rejoicing, even though you are going through various trials. Look at verse 6 again. Peter says their rejoicing is going to be mingled, mixed with grief. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. See, Christianity does not teach that as soon as we get saved, all of our earthly problems are solved. That's a false gospel. If anyone has ever told you that the reason that you're going through a bad time, the reason you're grieving or suffering or hurting or you're sad, is because you don't believe in God hard enough, they have lied to you. They are not telling you the gospel. That is not biblical. Think for a moment about John chapters 13 to 17, the discourse in the upper room. We've talked about this lots in the past. It was the night before Jesus' betrayal, the night before his arrest, He's telling the disciples lots and lots of important things that were going to be coming and how they should respond and what the future is going to look like. He begins by washing their feet and saying, you need to serve one another in love. Then he tells them that they needed to keep their faith in him, and then if they did, they would experience and see God. He told them that if they prayed and they asked for something, that that they would uh, that he'd give it to them, that they would receive whatever he asked in, in his name. He, he told them of the importance of obedience and how the presence of the Holy Spirit would help them to know him and follow him and connect them to him in the most intimate way possible. And then he begins with some warnings. He says, listen, you got to stay connected to me or your life is going to be meaningless. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. But apart, for apart from me, you can do nothing. You've got to remain connected to me. Then he warns them, and he says that if you do that, the world's going to start to hate you, just like it hated me. But no matter what, Jesus will never, ever, ever leave you alone. He'll always come, and he'll always comfort, he'll always help, he'll send a helper. Then he gives them another warning, and he says, listen, I'm about to die. He warns them about his imminent death, all the sorrow that they're going to feel. But then after he rises again, that sorrow will turn to joy, and that joy will be greater than they ever experienced. He, he keeps telling them difficult things, and then he tells them good things, he tells them difficult things, he tells them good things. And then after talking for hours, right before he prayed for them, and prayed for us in his high priestly prayer, as he's rising to leave to go to the Garden of Gethsemane to face that death, he says this in John 16, 33. I have said these things, and he means all the last chapters, that, you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. That's the gospel. In this world... You're going to have trouble. You're going to have trials and suffering and struggle and difficulty because this world is still affected by sin. As Peter said, for a little while, meaning while we're alive, we're going to be grieved by various trials. But take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. It's not just about the world. The world didn't win. The sin didn't win. That's the gospel. That's 
basically what Peter says in verses 6 to 7. He says this, Now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through the, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying, these trials, these difficulties, these frustrations that you're facing, the worry that has come over us, uh, whether it's the death of a loved one or, or our own sickness or a financial loss or a job loss, dealing with being lonely or, or having our work become way harder or more complicated, we're living in a world with more risk, all of that is what Peter is calling various trials. But he says, what do these trials do? As you're rejoicing, as you're seeing all the salvation, you look at these trials, they, they have a purpose. There's something that they do. They test the genuineness of your faith. In other words, these times force you to see whether or not you really believe what you say you believe. At this time, well, it tests your strength of faith, the strength of your convictions. It's also showing you what your faith is really in. God uses times like this to refine and reveal. He refines your faith. He strengthens your faith, purifies your faith by forcing you to see the things in your life that are weakening it. And it reveals things in your life showing you things about yourself and about others that you never would have known were there if the trials hadn't come. Turn with me for a bit to Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 20. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 20. I want to show you something that I think God was talking to me about this week, and I, I think it might help you too. Luke 3, 1 to 20. This is the introduction of the ministry of John the Baptist. Uh, he was a man sent by God. He was really the final Old Testament-style prophet who was meant to prepare the way to announce the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to, to turn from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He was, he was the bridge. And it says this, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Traconatitis, and Lysanitis, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, and the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Okay, so this is a very specific time in a very specific date. This actually happened in history. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming, from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, 
to, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees, for every tree that therefore does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came in to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people, but Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Heroditus, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, he locked up John in prison. So you kind of get the general tone of John the Baptist's message. The Messiah is coming to begin the, the final work of salvation, so get ready for it. If you remember a couple weeks ago, I preached the, the epic sermon about the various phases of God's plan of salvation. Well, this is the announcement of God's final phase, his greatest phase. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, the judge of all mankind, he's coming into the world with an axe in one hand, a winnowing fork in the other, the refining fires of the Holy Spirit to purify the world before God's wrath, God's refining fire sweeps through the whole world, burns away all the fruitless trees and the worthless chaff. He's coming to protect, coming to separate, coming to show truth. He preached this power with conviction, John. And he said, get ready. And then he would invite people to repent. Now, to repent means to turn your life around, to, to go the other way, to acknowledge you were doing wrong and start doing right. And to show that repentance, he invited them to be baptized. The external washing to show what was going on on the inside, that they wanted to be clean on the inside. But some were coming to this baptism and all they wanted was the outer sign. They didn't want to change their ways. They didn't want to follow Jesus. They didn't want to listen to John. For whatever reason, out of fear, out of peer pressure, religious devotion, misunderstanding, when they came to John, they had no plan to change their hearts, no plan to change their lives. They weren't preparing themselves for Jesus. They did not care about their sin. They just wanted to get wet. Now, John hated that hypocrisy because it was the same hypocrisy that had completely dominated all the Jewish religion at that point. So he looked at the crowds that were all excited to get baptized and join into this thing, and he said, you snakes, you brood of vipers, what are you even doing here? I see your motives, and I know you're not here to give your heart to God. 
You're not here to submit to the Messiah. You're here for some of your own selfish, stupid reasons. You make excuses to sin, and you think you're going to escape God's wrath because you're doing some religious traditions or because you're, you're going through some religious motion. That's not how it works. That won't work. Religious devotion, devoid of repentance, devoid of hatred of sin and submission to God, will still lead you to hell. And then when Jesus did come, consider the religious people. How did they respond? Well, they looked at him. They heard his message of repentance, of submitting to him, and they hated it. They hated it so much they murdered him. So they could keep being religious hypocrites. The presence of Jesus was the fire, the trial that revealed their sin. And it showed everyone how evil they really were. Now the crowds, seeing how serious John was about making sure their hearts were right with God before they participated in this external washing, this external sign, it says in verse 10, they, they responded, okay, what do you want us to do? If we're not supposed to be doing religious stuff, getting wet and singing the songs and saying the prayers and doing the sacrifices, bringing the tithe. If none of that matters to God, what are we supposed to be doing? That's what we've been told to do. We're here to get baptized because you told us that getting baptized is what we need to do or God will be mad at us. So, so what are you really saying? John's answer was what he had said in verse 8. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. In other words, make your life show that your repentance is real. That you hate your sin and you want to be godly. Real repentance will show, it'll, it'll require you change your life, you change your behavior, you have a different set of priorities, you have a different set of ethics. It will show in your life if you really repent. It reminds me of the famous passage in Micah chapter 6, which says, where the, the prophet says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the Lord on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What does God want to save me? What's he looking for? It says, he has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That's, that's basically what John was saying. He just looks at the crowd and he says, okay, listen, if you've got extra, share. If you're in a position of power, be kind and fair and honest. It, it, show God and show others love. Show that your repentance is real. You don't want to live in sin. Show that your faith is real, that you trust God. Show that you want Jesus in your life and trust his way is the best way so you're not going to do it your way by doing justice, loving kindness, walking humbly as a servant of God. Show it in your life what you say you want. Now, Herod the Tetrarch did not like this message. 
he was caught in a bunch of sin, a lot of it public, and it went against God's commandments, and John the Baptist called him out on it. Now, what was Herod's response to getting called out as sinners, as a sinner? Well, it was to arrest John and lock him in a room where he couldn't hear him anymore. That's kind of my conclusion today. During this time, you're going to be faced with all kinds of temptations. Some are going to be in your home, others at work, others in the community. Some are going to be online, others face-to-face. There will be temptations to overuse things, to bring you comfort, overindulge in addictions, waste your time, use self-destructive behavior. Some of you are going to face the temptation to live in fear, to be a fear monger, spreading bitterness and paranoia. Others are going to be tempted to be selfish and greedy or to make personal gain on the back of the suffering. Some are going to take their fear out on convenient people that just don't deserve it. Some are going to face emotional struggles as their worries rise up. Others are going to face spiritual struggles as they neglect their prayer time and their study time and their fellowship opportunities. Some are going to be tempted towards hopelessness, and others are going to try to live in denial. The list of temptations that you could face during this time are really quite endless. But what I want you to see is that this strange time that we're going through is an opportunity for God to refine your faith and reveal your weaknesses and strengths. When it happens and God shows you your sin, and it's going to ha- if you let it happen and God is going to convict you, when that happens, I want you to feel the guilt and feel the shame, but I don't want you to be overwhelmed by it. Take it, admit it, turn it over to Jesus, accept that he died for that sin too, Ask and accept his forgiveness, and then repent. Change the behavior. Put a wall up between you and whatever that sin is. Tell someone else that you're struggling. Do the opposite of whatever it is, and then continue to bear the fruit that is in keeping with repentance. You're going to be convicted. My encouragement to you is to embrace that conviction and allow God to change you. Because if you choose to live humbly, if you choose to reflect on your life as it's presented to you, if you admit you need a lot of help because you're not dealing with it well, if you listen to the voice of God, the listen to the voice of good counselors, to the voice of Scripture, if you allow Him to make some changes, God will refine you and you will come out of this time stronger and more faithful and more joyful and more worshipful and you'll be a better person on the other side of this. Or you can respond like Herod did. When your sin rears up, and God convicts you when he shows you your sin, when someone else says, you hurt me, you should maybe stop that, it's hurting you, you can tell them to shut up. Shut up, God. Shut up, you. Take that voice, lock it away, pretend you didn't hear it, and then persist in your sin. But then on the other side, you're going to be more addicted, more afraid, 
more bitter, more controlling, more hurtful than when you went in because your heart will have a crust on it from turning God away. I don't want that for you. I beg you, during this time, to submit to God. Be reflective, be meditative, and submit to God. Listen to His voice, cut out the things that are hurting your soul, and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Thanks for listening to today's Art of the Christian Ninja Sermon Podcast. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, head over to artofthechristianninja.com and check the Contact Me button to send an email to Pastor Al. While you're there, hit the Subscribe by Email button, use the search bar to discover lots of other topics, and even download all of Pastor Al's books for free. May the Lord be with you.